Right. What was Tupac like to improvise with, to act with, to do a sketch with? He's a brilliant, brilliant little actor. Um, knew himself very well on camera, boy. He really did. The thing that struck me about him was he was really humble and really nice to me. Like he wasn't, he didn't seem like, you know, yo, what's up? He didn't seem like that to me. He was, he was very, very humble and very nice to me. He, he, he kind of was like, kind of bashful. Hi, all. Welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews podcast. On this episode, I had the extraordinary privilege of sitting down with comedian, actor, writer, and musician, Mr. Tommy Davidson. And I will tell you, for those of us Gen Xers, for those of us who came of age in the 90s, the 90s was an extraordinary time. It was a transformative time. It was a time when a new kind of culture was taking shape. And the television show In Living Color was part of that reshaping of American culture and an integrating of black culture into pop culture, which is something that if you are a millennial or a Gen Z person, it's hard to conceive of that idea because everything is such a stew at this point that it's hard to understand that there was a time when America was very territorial and it was very segregated. And my generation, Generation X, was a time when a lot of cultures that were considered fringe or had to fight for basic civil and human rights actually started to drive the cultural conversation and actually started to drive popular culture. And the Fox television network at the time was kind of like what Netflix is now. It was, they were the renegades. They were the pioneers. They were putting programming on that the big three, ABC, NBC, CBS, did not want to touch or didn't even know existed as, as I guess, something that you could put on the air on primetime. And the television show In Living Color was such a, not just funny as hell. I mean, the skits were absolutely outrageous. They were funny. They were thought-provoking. And it was such a a hotbed of talent. I mean, the people that came out of that show, Tommy Davidson, Jamie Foxx, the Wayans brothers, Jim Carrey, I mean, Jennifer Lopez, Rosie Perez, I could go on and on. But it was the very first time that people of color took control of the narrative and really drove the conversation in terms of the humor and also bringing things to the forefront that maybe were left unsaid, left on the table before because people didn't want to discuss it or didn't know how. And Tommy Davidson was always one of my favorite performers on In Living Color. His sketches are so funny. And his sketches are some of the most famous that, I mean, if you just go to YouTube and you type in Tommy Davidson in Living Color, you'll see some really classic sketches with some iconic performers that guest starred on the show or that spent time working on the show. And it was just such an honor to sit down with him. The connection wasn't great, the Wi-Fi, but what we lacked in Wi-Fi, we made up for in the topics that we covered. Believe that. And we just had the best time. And he's just a really deep, intelligent, 
big-hearted, great guy, and I had so much fun talking with him, and I learned a lot talking with him. And what I will say is that if anybody has a book, whether they're promoting the book currently or not, you better believe I'm going to read their book. I mean, who doesn't want to gain insight into somebody's entire life before interviewing them, right? So I sat down, and in less than two days, I read his memoir, Living in Color. I will tell you that there is so much more to Tommy Davidson than people ever knew at the height of his In Living Color fame and even at the height of his movie fame. And it's it's a great read. If you are a fan, I highly suggest picking up Living in Color. And he's also a really talented musician. He has a single out called I Know. It is kind of a modern jazz soulful single. I really like it. I've been playing it on repeat. It features Richard Elliott. So go to Spotify or iTunes and check out I Know, this really great, beautiful jazz song uh, that, that Tommy Davidson just put out. And of course, you can follow him on Instagram at the real Tommy Cat. That's at the real Tommy Cat. And you can go to his website at thetommydavidson.com to find out when he will be on tour in a city near you. He is touring right now with comedian Cat Williams, who I also love, who's hysterical. So go to thetommydavidson.com. You can find all of this stuff at his website, including the tour dates. So sit back, relax. Relax and listen to this extremely dynamic conversation with me and Tommy Davidson. So first of all, I have to say that in addition to listening to your music and everything that you're doing now, of course, I had to read your book. And oh, you I, did. Thank you. I, I did. I read it in a day and a half. It's, it's a quick read. Yeah, it, it's a quick read because because it's good. And the, the thing that came to my mind, and I don't know if you believe in this, but I feel like there has been a guardian angel watching over you from day one. Do you ever feel like that? Uh, all the way to right now, too. Yeah. I know it's true, too. Yeah, I mean, there's just too many things that that have happened to you along the way that just saved you. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's remarkable. So my first question is, growing up as a Black person in a Caucasian family with a Caucasian mm -hmm. mother, mm -hmm. what did that teach you? And what did it not teach you that you had to teach yourself? That's a great question. Thank you. What it taught me was... People who don't care about other people usually care more about material things and material progress and money and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What I learned myself is kind of a toughie, but I think it's true. What I learned was is that White people are as loving, uh, as creative, as genuine, as in, in, uh, ingenuitive, as peaceful, as any type of human being in this world. But for the last 400 years, they've been like that until they really want something. Mm. 
And when they really want something, that all goes out the window. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. I have, I have friends. I have one friend who has said to me, you know, Europeans are utilitarian. When they see something that they want and they don't have it, they feel entitled to just go in and take it. But I know something very key too. What? For me to look at it that way, that's a, that's a limited perception. Right. I have to add something to that. So I'll add this. It's not something that is really something that they do. Like, we're going to do this. We're doing this because we want to. And then we're doing this because we know we can. It's cultural. It has to do with the way that their culture came forward. We can say all we want to say about peace and all this other stuff. But we we our culture was rooted in a continent that was plentiful there's plenty of fruit there's plenty of fish there's plenty of meat there was plenty of it was plentiful that wasn't what came out of the culture that came out of europe right the weather was upside down compared to us it wasn't tropical it was cold i mean beyond cold mm-hmm. resources weren't there right and so, you know, when you can pull up, let's say you can pull maybe two fish, two or three fish out of the water, and that's what you were dealing with, you know, I don't know how much niceness you got in you. It's just Good something point. that grew out of that experience. Yeah. It's not something that they go, well, this, that, that, and the other thing. No. It has to do with, 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 with what was available. That is a very elevated and and wise perspective. You know, I get it. So when I read that your birth mom, her name is Tommy Jean Reed, that Mm -hmm. she, I guess out of sheer desperation, she left you in a garbage heap. Now, usually when you hear stories like that, you hear about newborns being left. You were two. Mm -hmm. At two, you kind of, you don't know what's going on, but you're also not a newborn. Do you? Did you have any cognition, or do you have any conscious memories? No, of that. Not that are con- not that are conscious. Conscious. I do know that the only way I found out that that was a reality was I had went into a depth. I, w- I had went into some kind of deprivation therapy, and and when I came out, the therapist knew. The therapist from the, told they, the therapist knew that I had been left somewhere for a long time by myself. Okay. And so that's when I started asking my mother who raised me what really happened. And she finally told me. It was a tough process, but she finally told me what at really what, happened. At what age did she tell you? 18 months. And it oh. probably was it probably was more like 14, no, more like 13 or 12, maybe, because I had been there for a while Mm -hmm. i've been there for maybe a month i was starved and you know dense in my skull i've been beaten you know all kind of stuff so you had to go to hospital and be there and be you know they say okay he lived you know yeah so Mm -hmm. you worked 
this, I don't know if anyone else has ever brought this up to you, but there's an interesting connection here. You knew Tupac Shakur. You worked with him at one point on a living color. I, I don't know if you know what I'm going to say, but he had that song, Brenda's Got a Baby. Uh-huh. Well, you know that song, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Does that song resonate with you? Because that song, in many ways, it describes kind of what happened to you when you were a baby. You know, I don't, I don't really know about that song. <laughs> You but, don't know, you know the song? Nah, I don't really know that song. But the song that resonated with me was that sometimes I, the black spiritual, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. You know, there's a, a spiritual, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. You know, And I remember when I was growing up, I was like, why does that song make me feel sad? Okay. You but because you weren't a motherless child, but your birth mother... Mm-hmm. I mean, what what does that do to your sense of self worth? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I know that I was motherless of a black child. I mean, of a black black mm-hmm. because the white mom I had now was white, and I didn't even know that I was black. I thought I was brown. So you know, I thought she, I thought she was beige or something. So when when the yeah. concept of black and white was introduced to me, I was like, really. Like I, I was, I was broken in half, but that, that messed my, my whole spirit up because I grew up around animals, you know, on farms and stuff. And we, me and my sister saw a lot of litters. And if a cat was a black cat, it could have two gray ones, a white one, a brown one. Yeah. So I thought we were like that. I mean, we, we see a dog, a dog could be a gray dog. It would have three white ones, two black ones, a gold one, you know, and a speckled one. So I thought we were like that. It wasn't until I was five years old till I moved to D.C. where the black kids beat us up repeatedly, call them up brother and sister, white cracker, and call me white cracker lover. So I said to my mom, like, why they keep calling me white cracker lover? I'm like, graham cracker. Yeah. I didn't know what they were talking about. Well, my and that's son. that's when she broke it down. Well, that's what, you know. Yeah. You know? Go ahead. My sorry. Son, same, he had the same... The same exact thing happened when I read that. I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what my son said. Because my son. Oh, okay, had, so, you know, I have to say that. Yeah, OK. My son is biracial. Right. And when he was a little boy, maybe three, he came home one day and he goes, Mom, what's a black person? I said, well, I said, OK, well, why, why are you asking me that? Like, what's going on? Right, said, right. He said, well, I'm not black. He said, I'm brown. He's like, I'm brown. And, and you're like, you're like peach. You're like tan. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I don't understand why somebody called me black. And I had to explain. And the best thing that I could come up with was that it was a political term. I said, it's, it is, it's like a societal construct, right? Like I'm considered white and you are considered black, even though in reality, I'm not exactly white and you're not exactly black but he didn't understand i had to explain it like several times so when i read that in your book i was like oh my god because it's like you're you're thrust into the matrix at the age of five where you're told this is how society works and this is what you are even though it doesn't make any sense in your little brain right my mom was interested in that she said that's what people your color call people our color when they don't like them and then when I got called nigger, mm-hmm. she said, that's what our people call people that look like you when they don't like them. Wow. That, okay. 
you know, and that was like really clear, you know, and I was like, well, who likes me? Just those people or you guys? Because I knew they loved me mm-hmm. and they weren't showing me no love over here. So it was confusing time until I discovered the love of all of them. You know, I'm, I'm so glad I did because I'm able to hand this book out into the world and not worry about what anybody thinks about it. I don't have to worry about anybody doubting it. All I want them to do is just read it and be changed. Yeah. Because I know they will. And what made you get into like, I guess I would call it like petty crime as a teenager. Mm-hmm. When was it? No, why? Why? That was the thing to do. I, I actually identified that with being black too. Okay. I said, well, they're doing it, you know? Yeah. This is what it is to be cool. I want to be cool. I want to be in with these guys. I want to okay. be in. And the thing that was popular was, hey, we're going to steal. We're going to get this. We're going to get that. We're going to get this. We're going to get this. We're going to get this. We're going to get it. And what it made me realize is that that's not a black trait or a white trait or a blue trait. That's a poverty trait. You know, of course it's cool and accepted if you steal, if you're the Irish in New York City during the Industrial Revolution. Of course it's, it, 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 it's cool to steal. If you're a Jewish teenager that's grown up in the ghetto, it's of Europe. Mm-hmm. Because you can have nothing. Right, of course. You see? Yeah. They make, they make movies. Where they make movies about different um, racial groups as heroes during that phase. Yeah, early night. Like early the Godfather night. and Once Upon a Time in America. And, you know, there's, there's all these movies that are about when that was them. Mm-hmm. You see? Yes. We haven't, black males aren't the only males that have gone through that. Every male in this country has. Because we're all from different parts of the world. And there ain't no part of the world that wasn't touched by poverty. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I watch movies that where they show the 1920s and my people, the Jewish people, they show Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel stealing on the streets of New York. And yeah, absolutely. You're, you make a good point. And do you think that you have to experience a very unique pain to gravitate towards comedy or to be a great comic? You know, I really don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. All I can tell you that I've been through some pain. (laughs) That's all. Right. I'd have to sit down with them, you know, and say, okay, what about you? What about you? What about you? I don't really know because I don't really know everyone's background. Okay. But you Uh, talk about other comics. You guys talk. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's, 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 yeah, there's some commonality there where we've all been through these experiences, but geez, you know, I think it would be, I think the only way that I can compare that question is to pose that question to a woman. And if I pose that question to a woman, she'd say, hmm, I think we're all kind of maybe the same in that sense. You know? What do you mean? In what way? In that, in the pain, 
it brought me to be this good at that or this good at that. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's just the more illustrative example that I can give. Yes. Because they, as a group, go through a unique experience with pain that males don't. Absolutely. You see what I mean? So I, I can always say, okay, well, if we're going to do it that way, you know what I mean? That I think it's kind of maybe everyone. Mm-hmm. And I can, the only thing I can really distinctively say through my experience is to, to draw that comparison for a comparison. Okay. Yeah. Does that make you understand? Female experience is rewarding, but very painful, like metaphorically and physically. So, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, I know that that's true for me, but I know that all my comedy doesn't come through that. Probably the largest percent of my comedy comes from being able to be happy through all of that. There's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of um, optimism and um, radiance yeah. that's come out of my life. But optimism comes, I feel like I've become more of an optimist after going through some traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you build, a, you build a resilience and you build a perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if you've never been through anything, you like you stub your toe and you're like, life sucks. You know what I mean? Like, right. Or or if you've been through a lot. Yeah. You know, a whole lot, a whole lot. You bury twelve girls in your backyard or some crazy. You know what I mean? It's it's like, hey, you know, it's, it's today's Tuesday. You know what I mean? You, like it's like, you know, we take the best we can from everything. Mm-hmm. And we call it is now, you know? Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I, I want to ask you about Jada Pinkett Smith. Do you think that Jada Pinkett Smith is misunderstood as a woman? As somebody who's worked with her, knows her, and all that. Come on. Because, like, uh, no, let me, hey, no, no, no. Let me explain. Because I like her. And I'm really excited for her book to come out. And I don't understand why people don't understand her. So can you tell me like how you feel about her? Yeah, I, I just love that girl. She's been one of my best friends and she's been there for me a lot. She was there the day I met my real mother. Was she with you when you went to meet your first No, she wasn't with me, but she knew something was wrong with me that day. I just came back from a trip. I met her. We're on the set, ready to shoot another scene. And she looked at me. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. She said, something's wrong with you. I said, nothing, nothing wrong with me. Come on, let's go shoot. Let's go shoot the damn thing. She said, no, something's wrong. Something looks different about you. I'm telling you, something's wrong. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing's wrong. You know, the camera's all around and people are getting ready, you know. And she said, come here. What, what did you do yesterday? What's, what's going on? I told her, I met my real mother yesterday. She went, okay, thank you. She went, that's a wrap for the day. She said, go on. Shut up. Yeah. Uh, she said, go uh, on. Come back tomorrow. You, you, you can't just come here like that. No, go. You, you, need, you need to go home and just be with that. 
Was that on the set no. of Woo or Bamboozled? Yeah. Woo. That was on Woo? Mm-hmm. And that was her movie. So that was like her star vehicle. And she shut down production yeah. from you. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And everybody, you know, that, that thing became, that's why when, you know, any personal relationship becomes public, you know, everybody's going to have an opinion, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the things that, you know, us as, as talents have to deal with if we get into that area, you know? I've had more negative experiences with Will than Jada, okay. you know? But I've also had positive uh, experiences with both of them. Mm-hmm. And they constitute, they, both of them constitute being, being just human to me. Right. You know, when, when I found out that the reason why he wanted to fight me and I didn't know for 15 years or whatever why he wanted to fight me, mm-hmm. I found out that they both thought that I kissed her. That you kissed like, Jada. Over kissed her in a, in a scene. Okay. You know? Yeah. And Will was mad about that. And I didn't know anything about it because they wanted me to go and do a kissing scene. And I said, I'm not going to do that until me and me and Jada rehearse. We haven't rehearsed that. They're yeah. like, we don't have enough time to do that. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing it until she says it's okay to do. I'm not doing that without rehearsing. So they came back to my trailer and went, hey, she said, just go for it. And I was like, I ain't just going for it. I'm going to just try to make it look real. You know? Yeah. And at, it was after that scene that he came to me. Like, I'm going to, well, you know, and do this to me. And I was like, man, okay, let's go outside. Then. And, and, and Jada was like, no. And I was like, well, tell him to leave me alone, man. You know? Yeah. It wasn't until I wrote, until I took that paragraph out of my book and sent it to them to read before I put it in the book because if it wasn't true, I can't put it. And they approved it. And both of them called me back and said, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I just want to quickly touch on, because you said that the fifth season of In Living Color was your favorite season. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, you had, you and Jamie Foxx did a famous sketch with mm-hmm. Tupac. Mm-hmm. You played the bouncer characters. So right. Forgetting everything else about that happened outside with the limo and everything else. Right, right. What was Tupac like to improvise with, to act with, to do a sketch with? Before you get the mic and stuff, go on stage, girls be screaming and stuff, talking about keep your head up, girls be hollering at you and stuff. I ain't seen none of that. Check this out, bro. I got a show to do, and I don't appreciate your attitude. You know, we can Oh, I guess you're stepping to me, man. Why you want? Oh, God, don't do that. He's brilliant, brilliant little actor. Um, knew himself very well on camera, boy. He really did. The thing that struck me about him was he was really humble and really nice to me. Like, he wasn't, he didn't seem like, you know, yo, what's up, man? He didn't seem like that to me. He was, he was very, very humble and very nice to me. He, he, he kind of was like, kind of bashful. But, hey, Mr. Davidson, I just want to, I really, I really admire your work, man. You, you really are, I, like, you you really done it for me, man. I really appreciate like he was like that. Yeah, he, was he was a fan. Like, yeah, he was like, yo, yo, you, you, you dope dope. Nah, nah. He was like, hey, I really appreciate you, man. Seriously, man. You you're really something else. You know? It was warm. Was that scene real... was it improv or was it scripted? Well, it was scripted. It was improv by us. <laughs> right. 
uh, you know, it wasn't, it was scripted, but we never did that. Mm -hmm. But he could keep up. Right. He could keep up, you know, and definitely keep up. Did you know when you were making that show that you were making history or was it just looking back in retrospect that you can see that you were making history when you were doing that show? We all knew. We all knew. We yeah, all had we been. All in, we all, yeah, we all had been in Hollywood for six, seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and 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 Jim and them had been there for you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen years. So when we finally got together with this show, we knew what it would do because TV movies they didn't want that then. Mm-hmm. They didn't want us doing that. That's what Robert Townsend's first movie was about. Was about how they miscast us or how they don't cast us, how they don't show us. Yeah. So that's why we knew if it got on the air, it was going to change everything. When it got on the air, we were happy because we knew it. Now, I don't think we knew what fame was. I know I didn't. You know, we none of us expected that. You know, you can't, you can't predict that one or how you're going to react to that. You know? But did, did you feel like it was the first time that Black creatives could take control of the narrative and feel empowered and you could create comedy and you could laugh at yourself, but you were in the power position because you were controlling the narrative. Yeah, he put in that language, uh, which is a contemporary language, yes, but it's coming from another connotation, which would be not a narrative. I would be not empowerment. It would be effort and skill and not divisiveness, effort, skill, and talent to overcome that. Mm-hmm. You see? Yeah. And then we can land on those other words. It, what it really was, was a phenomenon whose time had come. Right. You know, it, it was just, you know, the Dutch boy can't hold the dam for so damn long. And what came out of it, I differ from others' opinion of that was Blacks being able to, you know, express themselves. No, that was Blacks showing white America that we all have been laughing and will be laughing about the same things as long as we live here. Whites didn't feel comfortable laughing at that stuff until they live in color. And Blacks didn't feel like being that kind of funny in front of them. Right, right. So what what was different about it? Yeah, but whites have been watching this from the very beginning laughing and wanting to laugh. Right, but remember when Dave Chappelle said he walked off Chappelle's show because one day he was with the writers and he felt like they were laughing at him and not laughing with him. And it was something that was like really subtle, but it bothered him so much that he left the show. So mm-hmm. what was that subtle shift, like that subtle feeling where you're like, okay, we're in the driver's seat. Like we're in on the mm-hmm. joke. I'm going to say this. Okay? okay. I think there's a certain... ego that European males experience at a certain stage of having relationships with us where they kind of become a little bit uncomfortable of the fact that we have equal humanity. 
we're not outside of humanity, like in some suit. We're a part of humanity. And that's uncomfortable for them. For some. Okay. For some. Yeah. And I don't blame them. See, I'm not the one to be like, oh, I just this and just that and just that. I, man, that little Jewish guy who rode in on that daggone donkey taught me a lot, boy. Not just him, though. You know? Of course. They feel like that. Of course they do. They're not in touch with the generations who had nothing. There are generations out from that. When they started operating, they already had something. Mm-hmm. My mother used to tell me, Yo, you're out there stealing with your friends and you're stealing from people like us. Okay, right. so you're not doing anything special. She said, and you're stealing from people that work. Unfortunately, you're from a population that doesn't inherit any, any wealth. There's only three ways of making money. You work for it. Uh, you steal it or you inherit it. You don't inherit anything as a group. Okay. Work is can be scarce for you. And you damn sure ain't, ain't inheriting nothing. So when you end up with that mindset and you mistake that for race, you may feel a little insecure and inadequate when you work with somebody else who has maybe a higher status in the office, maybe. Who they're, you're working for as opposed to the other way around. They come with they come with some they come with inherited wealth and inherited privilege. It's inherited. I would say it's more of an inherited character. Okay. I get it. Yeah, an inherited character. Will some of them take a sword? Or will some of them take sticks and, and beat Native American babies down so that they can have their land right now? No. But we weren't that far back. We weren't living in those times. Right. Okay. I get it. Were you always into jazz music your whole life? My whole my whole life I was into music, period. I got into smooth jazz when I was probably in my about 15. Okay. So it's a part of all of the music that are, that's downloaded in me. But this is the part of music that I'm entering into because it feels right now. Any other area of music is so hard to get into and doesn't express where I'm coming from musically right now. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather, I'd rather get in and fit in and not be in at all. So with I Know, what was the creative process? Like with the writing, producing, recording, everything? I just take a song that I love if I heard it before mm-hmm. and I do it my way. And I do it with the best people. And then if I have an original come along, I'll sing it my way and do it my way. Okay. So basically, music has has basically turned me into a recording artist and into a music person. And so I'm leaning on all of the good things that came from music that helped me to get it out there to this society to help people. There's not a lot of songs about, are you feeling okay today? Right. Are you satisfied with who you are and where, where, where you've been? Mm-hmm. Dude, when is the last time you loved your fellow man? There's not those that, that ain't out there. It was when did we you write, were. Did you write the lyrics? 
You wrote the lyrics? I did not. I did not. A guy named Tom Brown, who I, who I heard his song when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And I vowed to make it a song that was going to be on my album. And I did it. Okay. Interesting. Because from what I saw, you put out singles. Mm-hmm. Were you together an entire album? Yes. But I want to roll out my singles at different times. Because why put it on the whole album when they're just going to pick two and bang? I'd rather have most of them heard already and then they can choose from the album what they want. Yeah. Yeah. So before before I let you go, and I am going to hold you to a part two because <laughs> I have other questions okay. I want to ask. I got but, you. I got you. But you're on the Dark Matter tour right now. That's the comedy tour uh-huh. with Cat Williams. Mm-hmm. How did that collaboration come about? He asked for me. I never really knew him. Only met him a couple of times. And I'm so glad he did because he's the nicest person, boy. He's taking care of me. We were going around the country, selling out everywhere. I'm home from Sunday through Thursdays. And I got some other gigs. That's like a lifesaver for me. I got kids that are in school. I got baby, you know, it's like, yeah. it's good being home, being able to do my business and be able to go on the road. Okay. You're, the dates go through December? Go through December. Yeah, go to TommyDavidson.com. TheTommyDavidson.com. Yeah, the, uh, that, there you go. <laughs> I know you're so better. <laughs> All right. All right, so I'll let you go and I'll be in touch. Okay. Hug your, hug your, hug your boy for me. I will. I will. Thank All you. All right. Have a good one. So that was a a pretty brief 20-minute interview, but we covered a lot of ground, wouldn't you say? We covered a lot of stuff. And uh, I I think that, you know, even though it it wasn't the long-form interviews that I typically do, we really got to talk about a lot of his personal experiences, his professional experiences, and I think he brought a lot of unique insights to... Uh, to race, to culture, to family dynamics, to celebrity, to comedy. Uh, I mean, we covered we covered a lot of topics in a short period of time. So, uh, yeah, you can find all things Tommy Davidson at thetommydavidson.com, including his comedy tour, his music, his book, uh, all that good stuff. And, of course, you could follow me on Instagram at theallisonkrugel. I love to hear from you guys. I love to hear what you thought of a specific episode and a specific guest and what you thought of my questions and all that good stuff. And I will catch you on the next go around. Peace. Peace.